everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Black Ball. Today, friend of the show is here, and I'm not going to go on a prolonged introduction because he really needs none, because his name is Spencer Rice, a.k.a. Spenny. Spenny, how are you, buddy? I'm well. Um, welcome back. Oh, thank you. You look like a farmer today. I I smell like one, too, probably. I haven't oh. showered yet. But, uh, yeah, I kind of go for the country country look. I've learned something over the years that there are a lot of women out there that really, really, really like plaid shirts on men. Don't know what it well, is. Well, I can I tell know. you this. If you watch the uh, new country music videos, they have the hottest tricks. Uh, that's just a, a fact. Um, I hate new country. I like old country. Uh, but uh, you got you to gotta call the strikes on the... Listen, I, I've said this to a couple people, but um, new new country and and uh, modern day rappers have a lot more in common than I think people think. Uh, huh. It's a bunch of fellas talking about real shit about their lives. <laughs> they always have hotties in the videos. They they are cousins. Well, there uh, you go. Probably not, probably not in the south, but they are. Otherwise, they are cousins. Um. Listen, I, I know you, you, you're funny because uh, for a lot of reasons, but for this particular reason I'm thinking of right now, um, for since I've known you, you've had a love-hate relationship with the broad, overarching topic known as politics. Um, I've seen you swear off talking about politics. I've seen you then just go full tilt <laughs> about politics the next day. I I want I, I and I told you this in the in chat that I'd be I wanted to have you on for a specific reason. Now I just want to disclaim this because you'd be stupid not to. I'd be stupid not to. When it comes to certain subjects, and and these subjects are the most polarizing ones, whether it's like abortion, they're also the most fun to talk about. Um, abortion or religion as a whole, or anything to do with the state of Israel, it becomes littered with landmines that be, makes it very difficult to have a robust discussion. Correct. I was wondering if you could please be really specific about your, <laughs> about the finer points that you may have regarding this, this Israel uh, Hamas conflict, Just, and a bit of background. It was October 7th Hamas assembled. I don't know what it was like 3,500 of their uh, terrorists, militants, whatever you want to call them, whatever your political you know, preference for that terminology happens to be. I'm going to try to take a uh, 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 spectator look at this. I don't really want to give away what my feelings are because, to be honest with you, I don't know if I'm qualified to have them in a substantive way. Um, but, however, so on the October 7th, about 3,500 uh, Hamas members uh, encouraged onto Israel proper and just started mowing down civilians um, at music venues in their houses, there was it was fucking awful. It, it, it was a horrible terrorist attack by anybody's measure. And then ever since then, um, Israel has launched an aerial assault and a ground invasion. And now we're at a place, and now this is sad, but we're now at a place that has become kind of familiar territory when it comes to conflicts uh, that Israel has uh, with their neighbors in the Middle East, where uh, now the question of proportion is being um, talked about, civilian death tolls being questioned, depending on what the source is. 
As a Jewish person, though, I would feel probably different than I do about it right now because I don't technically have a dog in this fight. So I look at it as a spectator and I don't have emotions, but I also probably don't have the background either. So um, I was wondering if you could give me sort of your take um, as broad or as narrow as you'd like on what you see uh, about the, the, the Israeli-Hamas conflict. Uh, I'll tell you everything that I think. The first thing I'd like to say was I had the choice, uh, you know, with somewhat of a, you know, minor uh, follower uh, count to just not say anything. Uh, people... Yeah. People tend not to say anything because uh, in my business, because they don't want to get isolated uh, and maybe canceled. Some people don't talk about it because of fear of some kind of reprisal. Uh, I personally made the decision to to talk about it. Uh, we could talk about this thing for at least the full hour yeah. <laughs> and, and barely scratch the surface of what's right. what's going on on so many levels so what I'll, what i'll do is uh, i will tell you everything that i've felt uh and how i feel about it uh warts and all um so first thing i'd like to say is uh uh i try not to be tribal uh whether it's white or Jewish or, or blues music or whatever tribes we end up in, I, I make an effort not to be tribal because I think that's uh, almost really stepping backwards in time. I, I feel the future, we, we will become less tribal. Uh, racial intermixing, et cetera, will, will egg that on for sure. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I think. It's, I certainly seem to be wrong. This particular uh, October 7th attack has uh, really stretched me to the limit in terms of not being tribal. And in fact, I can honestly say I'm incapable of completely not being tribal when it, when it comes to this. Keep in mind, I'm not a religious Jew. Uh, if I never walk into a synagogue again, uh, that would be fine. I'm not a fan of the Orthodox Jews, uh, the the extreme Jews, as well as any other religion. I, I don't like the extremes. I think of myself as a as a, as a centrist, basically. Yeah. Uh, having said that, yeah, I get triggered, you know, and and it, it's very hard not to get triggered by what happened on October seventh. Uh, and the reality is, for me, and I'm only speaking for myself. Okay, which is that uh, I have great sympathy and empathy for civilians uh, on both sides, certainly also on the Palestinian side, because of the disproportionate amount of power that Israel has. However, uh, Israel is finding itself in a, in a situation uh, with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu at the helm, <laughs> not a uh, not a socialist left winger, that's for sure. So, not even a centrist. Uh, yeah. Not even a centrist. He's he's very far right wing. Uh and um we could talk about the disproportionality of the response to that horrendous attack and what good will it do us? The the reality is the man is in power. If Biden wants to lean into him uh by threatening to stop aid to Israel to get him to control himself, I mean that's an option. I don't control what goes on in the Mideast. And even, I, I only say that because the way people talk about it is so narcissistic that 
their opinion actually matters. Uh, they're living in Canada like I am. You know, thank God right now it's a safe place to be. Uh, and uh, everybody seems to have an opinion. Uh, the, the Hamas charter, what the leader said yesterday that Dean posted, uh, I mean, they, they don't pretend to be anything other than they want to wipe Israel off the face of the planet. And I think implicit in that is the annihilation of the Jewish people. That's the main thing for me. <laughs> forgetting the civilian casualties, forgetting the response, you're dealing with a, a group of lunatics uh, that are hell-bent, not only on destroying Israel and killing Jews, but probably if they had their way, would kill anybody that disagrees with them, including their own people, right? Yeah. So to me, the moral aspect of this stops right there for me. Okay, yeah. so uh, I can't control who, who who's elected in Israel. I can't control uh, the fact that Israel was uh, gifted the land by the United Nations uh, post-World War II. Uh, that's history. That's what it is. I mean, if you want to think about it, we're all living on land that isn't ours <laughs> here in Canada, yeah. right? You know, let's be honest. So... Uh, so that's it. So I'm 1 million percent on Israel's side. Uh, I I, uh, I wish there was someone uh, that was maybe a little less harsh in power. But, you know, and it's getting tired saying it. But how do you deal with an enemy that is hell bent on your destruction, talks about it publicly? They don't even hide it. And then they hide under hospitals. I mean, this isn't conjecture. Or, I'm not guessing here. This is a fact. No, no, I they know. hide amongst civilians. And in fact, I believe they want the civilians death uh, because uh, their own civilians, because it's good PR for them. Yeah. It creates and more terrorists, right? It does. That That's the other side of it. Uh, the question is, if they're being taught to hate Jews from in school, uh, then is it really going to create more terrorists? They're creating their own terrorists, right? So it's really an act of self-preservation in my view. Uh, we can we can argue and, and and talk about how far they've gone and and what they've done. I don't believe what Hamas says ever uh, in terms of the casualties, but you know I've seen the pictures. Uh, this is uh, this is a horrible situation on both sides. It is uh, horrible on every. You've got the, the almost the worst of the worst uh, ruling uh, Gaza, and you've got uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, a right wing lunatic who's got people in his party that have even talked about using nuclear weapons. So yeah, again, I can't control any of that. So what I tend to do is I pare it down to the, the elements of which I can get my head around. And uh, like I said earlier, I don't like religious extremes, no matter where they come from. Uh, and Gaza is being run by a completely religious extreme. Now, where it gets complicated for me is the reaction that people have had. I remember when it first happened, there was a bunch of uh, supposedly woke people uh, that decided they were going to make Bin Laden their, their new hero, <laughs> uh, you know, because big bad Israel. I mean, I think that's a manifest. First of all, I was very sensitive uh, and uh, somewhat decent about wokeism. And now I, I have completely changed. I, I think woke is absolutely horrible of course there's good aspects to it everything there's good and bad you know it. if i may interject just for a moment people yeah, get really hung up on the fact that there is a word out there that has conflicting terminology 
Well, welcome yeah. to the internet age. Like it doesn't, because yeah. I'm with you. Like when I think of woke, um, I don't think of people who just want what's best for everybody. I think of people who stand on a soapbox and preach and lecture sometimes when it's completely unnecessary. And that's sort of the way I look at wokeism. Yeah. I don't think it needs to be, uh, I don't think we need to oh, recognize that term as people just who want equality. I can't because all of the examples that I see are all these like white Brooklyn, New York liberals lecturing people on how to treat people of color when those same people of color, if you poll them are like, shut up, stop talking for us. Right. So there is, yes. a, yeah, there's that side. Yeah. I, yeah, I was really is. disgusted when I saw the, I like by October 8th, the, um, the memes or the logo of the, of the Palestinian terrorist with his wind, with his parachute. As, as if that was some sort of solidarity standpoint. And I'm just yes. like, this is, you know, like, like, look at, I, I, we can talk about occupation and settlements and all that kind of stuff, but you can't just give a carte blanche or a blank check to how you respond to what you feel is oppression. But on the same token, I'm the type of person where I'm like, I also can't give Netanyahu a blank check to how he responds to the terrorism. So it's, it, it becomes this complex and as, as it always does. When Israel conundrum. It's a conundrum for sure. Yeah. Let me just say this but, uh, with the woke, and this never gets talked about. And I'll use myself as an example. When you're in university, when you don't really have a career yet, you probably don't have a family, uh, and we live in a very narcissistic culture, uh, people of that age tend to glom onto movements because it makes them feel important and it makes them feel that they matter. So on one level, I'm not entirely surprised because I'll use myself as an example. At one point, embarrassingly enough, I was like a, one of my best friends took a lot of acid and he became a Harry Krishna devotee. Wonderful wow, that's guy. A, that's a lot of acid. Yeah. So he, uh, and then through him, I kept being friends with him. Uh, he got me into this sort of a vegan before vegan was a word. It was just a purely vegetarian diet. I would go for lunches at the Krishna temple in Toronto. And uh, I became a, uh, for a small period of time while I was in college, a, a militant vegetarian, <laughs> lecturing oh, wow. people, you know, lecturing people about the cruelty to animals and this and that. And I, from, from, I, I, from I militant believe... vegetarian to wearing a dead squid on your head. Yes, exactly. So, so I, I I do give them a little bit of a of a pass because of the age. A lot of them are, uh, and I know what it's like to be that age, and you want to matter, and you want you know you want to be important. Uh, so that's that. I have no problem with Palestinians people or people who aren't Palestinian protesting the war. One hundred percent, I support it. I do have a problem when it turns into harassment. Uh, uh, road blocking, all the stuff that, you know, some of the stuff that we've seen. Uh, and I said the exact same thing about the convoy. So I do strive for some consistency in my thought. It's hard in this day and age, but to me, it's the same thing, you know? So uh, that's that. At the end of the day, uh, you look at the history, you look at the, uh, uh, and, and I don't I don't think Israel is perfect. I never would say that. Uh, I'm sure they have some blood on their hands throughout history. But by and large, coming out of the Holocaust and all that I've learned about uh, Israel, uh, you know, they've offered peace. They don't want peace. And, and they say it. They don't want peace. They want to get rid of Israel. That is an untenable position. And unfortunately, I, a guy, I can't, Hillel something who was on uh, X yesterday, 
did a wonderful post. I should look it up and read it here about the the the, the global situation with this, uh, all the different issues, and I where he went through what was reasonable, what wasn't reasonable. I thought it was very good. I thought it was a very good thing. Uh, he basically, you know, tried to decipher. Uh, you know, legitimate uh, anti-Israel uh, policy protesting versus anti-Semitism. And he broke it down in a, in a really good way. There's no question anti-Semitism exists. That doesn't mean all people that are against this war are anti-Semitic. I mean, these are all things we've heard on the media, we, you know, we, we've talked about. But uh, I don't want a war. And one of the best things he said was, it's like they think uh, people that support Israel want this. We don't want this. I don't want this. I, I can't speak for other people. I don't want this. I don't want a war. I don't want uh, dead babies on any side. I don't want any of that. But we live in a reality, <laughs> right? It's just too easy. It's just too easy to say, you know, uh, you know, war is bad. It's got to stop. It's just, it's, it's an oversimplification. Yeah, go ahead. And it's not. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I have a, uh, I had a weird thought yesterday, actually. It was the day before yesterday about how, um, because the the Russia Ukraine war has been going on for like two years or whatever it's been now, um, when there's no Zelensky as part of the main cast of characters leading countries, it can be difficult for a lot of people. Like, listen, I think Zelensky is um, like I think he's a construct. I think that um, he's been put on a pedestal to the point where like it doesn't matter what NATO gives him doesn't matter what he does his pr is so fucking good that he would literally he could do what netanyahu's doing somehow and they would just be revered as a hero so it's a very weird thing when you watch uh when you look at the fog of war when two simultaneous conflicts are happening there's no Zelensky in the israel but great movie by the way fog of war errol morris have you seen that movie i have that, that mcnamara uh you know basically uh put all his cards down that, that it's was amazing, that was it was amazing film Anyway, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. And so, you know, so so when I see this, this conflict is so complex. It's got so much history behind it. Um, and it leads to these weird ancillary things that um, a lot of people don't know about or don't think about or dismiss out of hand, including things like the United Nations uh, resolutions that, that everyone um, on Israel's side thinks uh, condemns Israel unfairly. And that may be true. I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I know that there's international law experts that say that any settlements that encourage on the 1967 borders is a violation of international law. And then, you know, and I'm just unpacking this. I have no idea what the answer is because, again, I'm not an urban warfare expert. But um, I don't know how um, the Palestinians, especially if they were led by a more moderate version of the PLO, but anything other than Hamas, what would the answer be to how to respond to a much more powerful nation in you know uh infringing on your well, land and building settlements i don't know how the only the only one I, I don't know if it's their land to be honest with you but uh and i don't know and i love that you just said you don't know you're not an urban warfare that's what we need more of is people being fucking honest about how little they actually know yeah uh that would be nice but that won't work on social media so uh it's not gonna happen yeah right there's yeah so there's none of that yeah. And I don't want to get into the history, uh, uh, you know, because I've read all kinds of stuff. I, I'm really not sure where the truth lies, but I do know Israel's there and it's not going away. 
And uh, it, it, to be honest with you, I'm happy about that Israel is there. I got to be honest. Uh, I, I just am. Uh, you know, all this talk about uh, colonialism and what are the words they're using now? The misuse of the word genocide. Uh, it's it's just appalling and it's sad and it's pathetic. But the truth is, I don't fucking know a lot of, of this stuff. I only know this is a situation that's going down. And it's the same with Zelensky, by the way. You know, you, you hear that they're stealing money. It's uh, it's we are, yeah, we are the victims. That. We are the victims of so much information and so little education, uh, really, that uh, it's just it's very difficult to uh, make your way through it, which 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 led me to basically stop. And I know this is where we're going to go with this uh, to stop posting politics on social media. There is a number of reasons for it. And to be honest with you, I'm a little bit ashamed uh, at how much I did post uh, on politics. Uh, and it, the shame is only so far because at the end of the day, I know I'm an addict. I have an addictive personality and social media is nothing if not completely addicting. And there's no question in my mind about it. it it's an addiction for most people. Uh, it might be a soft addiction. It's not a heroin addiction, but it's an addiction. and. Uh, I think I lost touch of how little I know uh, and my humility. And I got caught up in the hate and toxicity. And by the way, I still am. I, I still get triggered, <laughs> even as I've I made I can see every effort not to. But I don't do nearly as much as I used to do. Um, you were, it, you were upset, I think, at the... Um... I could get this wrong, but because you posted like a, a quote tweet on the same tweet like four times last week. And I don't know if it was like you said something like deport this person or something like yes. that. Like, yeah. So what was that about? Was it just was it um, violence in the name of Hamas? Basically, like, what was it? I, it's been a few things. There's a group called the Goyim Defense League in Florida. Uh, and videos were coming out on the Internet of uh, these sons of bitches uh, going to and they're they're neo-Nazis, basically. I can't remember the guy's name, the head guy. He's been to prison a few times and they go to Jewish homes. And they, they just go up to the uh, line of, of legality and they put their, their uh, poisonous, uh, toxic, anti-Semitic literature. And then if an owner comes out, then they verbally assault them. Hey, Kike, hey, Kike, your, your eyes try are to goad them, right? They try to go right, to right. committing assault or whatever. Yeah. And I have a visceral reaction to that. I just do. I, I, I can't believe, uh, you know, that, that. It's a, it can happen. And yet I've gone with free speech, for example. I know that's a subject you're, you're interested in, uh, where it, I've gone through uh, almost years of saying there has to be limits on it, uh, you know, because of people like that. And now I'm like, no, you can't, unfortunately, they, because it's true. Where did, That is a real slippery slope. I know a lot of things uh, like gun legislation, they call that a slippery slope. I don't buy it. Uh, but, but with speech, it, it kind of is a slippery slope. And I begrudgingly, uh, have to say that, uh, if you don't hurt anybody physically and you don't break the law, you pretty much can say anything you want and it sucks. And I hate to say that. And that's just my opinion. Uh, no, I don't know I how you enforce speech. I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, it's a generational thing too. Um, when Noam Chomsky was on, he told me that, um, the best way to fight bad ideas is with good ideas. Right. Right. Like so. And he's as left as they come. But that would be completely counter to what the 20 something 
progressive would be. And, and by the way, Noam Chomsky, who I think you know is a, kind of a hero of mine, uh, his uh, thoughts on the Israeli uh, uh, Hamas situation is devastating for Jews. Uh, it, it, you know, and so I I disagree with him. Yeah, he's a million billion times smarter than me. Uh, I just disagree with him because he he basically compares uh, the Israelis to Nazis. Literally. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's the tribalism. It's also fucking well, complicated. Well, there's also a diversity of opinion within Jewish circles. It's not like everyone right. is on one right. side here, right? Of so. course. But but this is one guy who's, you know, let's clearly say he's a intelligent uh, guy with a tremendous knowledge of history. But he's also, I don't want to get into this, but he he's also has a, uh, a, a de facto position about the United States and power and hegemony and all that shit. Uh, so he's he's got a dog in the race in terms of his politics. I know that. I, I, he could tell me he doesn't, but he, I know that he does. Uh, but you know what's interesting is uh, the, the old saying, politics have strange bedfellows. Because when, when uh, the Israeli thing happened, uh, it was amazing to me that people that I had generally supported before that uh i i went i turned on them and then i started uh not supporting but thinking geez that the people i hated on the right their views are much more aligned to me on this israel thing uh than ever before and that was fascinating to me that that i could be so fickle in a way uh, but I think that's the tribalism we talked about earlier. That's it's also, very. That's also your because uh, you reminded me um, months ago when you were on the show about the the wolf analogy. That could be yes. applied to the way that evangelicals support Israel because they don't think that they're going to be whisked up to heaven during the rapture. They believe that their Jewish comrades are going to hell. <laughs> right? No, so, I, 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 I'm talking more uh, less spiritually uh, because that you you know that that what that means right it, when the rapture comes, which is never coming. Because uh, it's bullshit. Uh, when it, when it comes, let's pretend hypothetically. Uh, then, if the Jews don't become Christians, they go to hell. So it, it's a it's a it's a temporary kind of bizarre. Uh, 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 I don't know what to call it. Ethos that is just it's so stupid. I I can't even talk about it. It's just so because I'm I'm an atheist. I just don't buy any of that shit. What I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the the support for Israel responding uh, to Hamas, uh, which came from the right, you know, and then, I, you know, AOC and uh, so many on the left, the, the woke crowd in the universities, uh, they they didn't support Israel. And it really bothered me. And I'm not saying I'm right or I'm wrong. I'm just saying that's how it felt to me. And I felt betrayed and I'm never going to forget it. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. 
Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. There is shades of the politics that we experienced after 9-11 happening, too. Because, you know, um, the parallels between Israel and America would be... um, the idea that both of those countries have um, engaged in militarism militarism outside of their borders into places in the world and then blowback came in the form of terrorist attacks. That's, I think, a fair assessment. I don't think that anyone uh, over in the Middle East, if America's never gone over there, would probably do 9-11. I know, but that, that doesn't explain the fundamentalist religious dogma that's no, that's no, that's, that's it, ahead it of the spear no, right so that takes away yeah i mean what, talk I'm saying, about what, I'm, what i'm saying is is that the pattern then of of um response among populaces is that when the response to the terrorist attack takes place it is immediately criticized because the idea is is that the terrorist attack wasn't the first act of violence it was whatever they were responding to and that's where it gets really complex. I don't think it's overly complex where you can actually defend what Hamas did, though, on October 7th. And, I think and what if, they did, and, what they've been doing. They've well, been lobbing This was missiles. a whole other level. This was a, they've been lobbing missiles for ages. And the, the thing is, they, they admit what they want. They this don't was ISIS. This, this was ISIS level violence, though. This, Hamas, you know, they, 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 they shoot their rockets largely ineffective for the most part um they have good defenses israel uh, the iron dome defense and everything but the idea that um that this terrorist attack on october 7th could be explained away by um fighting against colonialism is just a bullshit proposition because any military expert would tell you um that Oh, what if Hamas uh, sent 3,000 of their guys into Israel and just started slaughtering civilians? What do you think would happen? We're looking at it. And everyone would have told them that if they asked anybody's advice at the time, which leads me to think that Iran wants this conflict to happen. There's a lot of people that think that Israel, there's a lot of people that think that Israel, I'm sure they didn't want the October 7th terrorist attack to happen, but there's a lot of people that think that Israel doesn't mind having Hamas in because it allows them to not have to worry about a two-state solution anymore. Because yeah, the there's that and the, the idea that Israel let it happen so that they can do what they're doing now. The reality is we don't know. Yeah. The reality is we don't know. So then I my default position is we're still dealing with, no matter what that answer is, with a group of uh, Islamic fundamentalists that don't treat women well, that uh, talk about grooming, uh, that groom their people to hate. Uh, and it occurs on the Jewish side, no doubt, but I don't think nearly as pervasive. Uh, so that's the that's the thing that I glom onto because I think it's real and I think it's true. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if you have to pick a side, and, and by the way, let me tell you a quick story. Yeah. 
I'm I'm Jewish. Both my parents are Jewish, but I grew up basically in like Rosedale, St. Clair and Young in Toronto. I went to my parents had money. They sent me to this private school that was a waspy private school. And I never went to synagogue. I didn't I, 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 I had no idea what being Jewish meant. So one day I came home from school and I had a swastika that I drew on my on my arm, just in a wow. pen. Yeah. Uh, my dad saw that and he absolutely flipped, not just angry, but realized how he had uh, uh, completely neglected to teach me what being Jewish was and what the swastika meant. So from that moment on, I was not forced because I was interested in it because I'm interested in history. I watched every kind of documentary film on the Holocaust uh, and what happened to the Jewish people. And I got a very, you know, deep uh, education into what it meant to, to be to be Jewish. So uh, I, I'm still not religious. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite. I'm not. I don't care for synagogues. I don't. It, it, anyways, uh, so that experience happened to me, which may, to a certain extent, explain my tribal reaction because part of it's tribal, part of it's just rational, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, Hunter Thompson talked about the what the meat hook realities of life. And we're living in the meat hook reality where, yes, United Chomsky's probably 100% right about U.S. using their power and their military uh, to make life <laughs> better for really everybody. And uh, I don't know. I can't control that. I don't know what to do about that. But I know it exists. I'm not naive about it. Uh, so, you know, nothing's do you, perfect. Do you believe in, in concepts like generational trauma where, um, well, for sure. <laughs> I think I'm a victim. That's my, was why I told that story. I, I yeah, think so, that so you can't. It's generational trauma. It's not passed down genetically. I don't think that would be kind of weird. Um, but, but it is oh. a, a, a sort of inherited fear and for good reason, by the way, it's not, the Jews have not had a very good run on this earth if you look at their history there have been many many times that they have been the attempted extermination of the jews has been front and center as early as 80 years ago right like and and now and the pogroms, uh, and from, now and the pogroms from russia like it goes back centuries yeah yeah so I, i'm wondering when you learn does the trauma come in the generate the concept of generational trauma because i don't actually know the answer to this but i i'm sure it's not genetic because that would be like mysticism um but but it, when you learn about the history, is that is that where the trauma embeds itself? And then I can I can speak from I can speak for myself. Yeah. Uh, when 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 I made that change and my father forced me to understand what happened to the Jews, predominantly in the Holocaust, but throughout history, uh, I would see uh, you know black and white footage that we've all seen of uh, the camps. Uh, and I'm talking about the when they're alive, not the bulldozing of bodies and all that stuff, which is just, yeah. you know, beyond anything. Uh, so uh, I would see these uh, children and women and men half starved behind the barbed wire fences. And for me, it's emotional because I, I would see my friends, uh, be, uh, my friends that were Jewish in their faces. Oh, yeah, okay. And I, I think that had a That's profound powerful. effect. A profound effect on me, which is why Holocaust denial is one of the lowest forms of uh, of human thought that you could possibly have. And I hate them. I hate I hate I hate to say it, but I do. I hate neo-Nazis and I hate 
people that try to minimize what happened because it was all documented. It's okay uh, to hate Nazis. Well, that, there's your trauma. That you, Now, I'm sure trauma is a spectrum, right? Yeah. So you go to Afghanistan as a soldier and you're around guns and, you know, that, that's one kind of trauma. What do they call it? Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't know if I go that far with me, but there's, there's no question that if you're Jewish and you're interested in the history of, of Jewish people and, and the, the, how few there are, how few Jews there really are in the world. Uh, and how successful movie, uh, Go- did you watch Golda Meyer with uh, I haven't seen that yet no it is it is great and it's it w- there's an interesting part where she invites she's the former prime minister of Israel she used to be the head of Mossad I believe um, yeah. and she uh, really interesting looking she looks like a librarian she smokes all the time um, she was played by Helen Mirren which uh, which yes. she did a fantastic I've seen part. the commercials yeah um, there was a part though where she invites uh, Henry Kissinger to Israel to talk about um, whether or not uh, the United States can supply the right type of arms or whatever for their conflict. And um, when, when they're in the kitchen, there's a, there's a person there who cooked. I don't remember what she made. What's the soup called? What's a soup? A, bor- uh, a borscht. A borscht. A borscht. Yes. That's yeah. a Russian. Yeah. So, yeah. So then, and so he's like, Oh, I can't eat the Russians just fed me the last two nights and I'm really, I'm not really feeling well. And Goldemeyer walks up and said, she's a survivor. So it's polite to eat it in front of her, you know, and, and it was really interesting because then she waited and then Kissinger took a sip of the soup and she felt like, good. Now this person understands to, to be grateful in every moment because I had to survive Auschwitz. It, it is yeah. so. And there, can I just say this? Cause this, uh, I had a, a, a very awful fight years ago with a friend of mine who I don't think understood that one of the anti-Semitic tropes, I guess they call them, is this idea that Jews are just whining and complaining and using, even worse, using the Holocaust as a way to gain sympathy. Uh, That's just, it's just, uh, it it makes me so angry, you know, because I I don't even have the words, you know, but it's out there and it exists and people really believe that and they think that. Like a fundraising Uh, tool, I remember hearing something. Yeah, fundraising, you you name it. Uh, The reality is just a lot of- Mordecai Richler uh, covered this in his uh, in his book Barney's version. How he had a friend, a Jewish friend, that would always try to play on his sympathies for the Holocaust to get money out of him. But he made it funny, right? Like it was right, right. Woody Allen, Woody Allen, kind of has done that. He's 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 waded into that water about uh, you know the left wing Jews versus the right wing Jews, and you know, yeah. I, I think what people a lot of people don't really understand about the Jewish experience was. Uh, unfortunately, because it's a kind of a racist world, the fact that Jews look white was a huge advantage we had over Asians, blacks, whatever. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the the movie Zelig, uh, one of my all time favorite Woody Allen movies. You must see it, James. Um, it, it's oh God, I, if you don't know it, I, I it's basically done like an old uh, you remember those old newsreels. You know, news on the march. It's sort of Citizen Kane started with that. And it's a uh, a uh, mostly uh, the first bunch of the movie is just this newsreel about this guy named Leonard Zellman, who became known as Zelig, who was a, a Jewish guy. But he had this bizarre power where if he stood uh, beside, let's say, a native Indian, his hair would grow long and his skin would turn. He would become an Indian. So he became a sort of um, 
symbol of magical blackface. Yeah, yeah, no, he became black, of course, if he stood by a black guy. And it was really just kind of a metaphor. I think it's a metaphor for the Jewish experience of trying to blend in because coming out of the horrors of the Holocaust. Uh, Changing your and, name. You like that well, my name was changed by my grandfather. My actual yeah. last name is Raysburg. Uh, my, my grandfather on my father's side changed it to Rice uh, post-World uh, post War II. So, you know, Kenny makes fun of that in the live show because, you know, he's always looking of ways to gaslight me. He's not even, he's ashamed of being Jewish, you know. But anyways, I, I'm not going to change got the all. same. John Stewart got the same criticism. Did he? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what his what his name was. Um, hold on. You know who's, why? have you been following Lee Kern? No. Lee Kern, if you go to X, he's a, uh, apparently he was one of the writers and may have been in one of uh, Sasha Cohen's uh <laughs> Or at movies, Le John Lebowitz, Stuart might have been. A no, 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 no. I'm not talking. His name's Lee. First name Lee, last name Kern. No, I know. I was just. I just looked up what John Stewart's real name was, and then oh, I Lebowitz. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, you can go. Mo Howard, the Three Stooges, Jack Benny. They all changed their names to become yeah. less Jewish. I don't know if it was. I don't think it was an ashamed a shame of being Jewish. I think it was a Protection. fear of being Jewish, and those. Are, that's a big distinction to make. Uh, anyways, uh, I think that you're if you're if you're immigrating to America in like 1942 or something like that, yeah, whatever the case may be, I think, um, a sign of a good daddy would be a daddy that decides to like protect their family by you know, if I have to chop off the, the a syllable off my name and increase the chances of my family being saved, you do yeah. it, don't you? Yeah, like. Yeah, I, I don't like I would never go back and change it to Raysburg, mostly because I probably couldn't spell it. But anyways, um, uh, you know, it is what it is. It happened. I'm I'm sticking with it. Uh, I, I don't wear my Judaism on my uh, my sleeve at all. In fact, you know, certainly the religious aspect, I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm pretty publicly not in favor of religion in general. But uh it's uh I feel like feel that way when I go to a Greek restaurant. I never tell anyone that I'm Italian because I don't want them to know that my food is better than theirs. <laughs> so let me just finish with Zelig. So yeah. what Zelig was that was a metaphor, and it's such a great movie. And by the way, you watch it, the special effects in it are un it's like you're watching a movie reel from the 1920s. Oh, nice. It's it, like it, the and, hair on the film and everything. Like yeah, yeah. No, he would take the neg negatives and he would invite people over to the editing suite to walk all over them to make them look old and worn. <laughs> uh, there was stuff that 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 sort of became uh, what's the Tom Hanks movie uh, Forrest Gump. He was doing that kind of stuff where he was yeah. he was putting himself into Nazi like actual footage of Nazi rallies it was remarkable and very well done, black and white. I, I rec I, everybody to see it, but it is fundamentally a. A wonderful metaphor for the Jewish experience trying to blend in, right? Here, here you have a guy who not only trying to blend in, he's literally physically, he's so he's so in fear, I think, uh, I'd have to ask Woody Allen, uh, of, of, of being uh, targeted as a Jew, that his evolution has made him physically uh, take on the attributes of whatever person he's with. It's absolutely brilliant. Self-protectionism in the form of instant evolution. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And it, it's funny. And then, of course, he, he ends up, uh, uh, this is when he was with Mia Farrow and she was in all his movies. She plays a, a Dr. Eudora Fletcher, a psychiatrist. 
who is tasked and she wants to help him because it's a disorder that he has. And his parents, of course, turned him into a carnival act to make money off of him. You know, so it's a disorder. It's, it's not dysmorphia. It actually actually does turn. Well, you know, it's fiction, obviously, but uh, she sees it as a disorder. Yeah. She sees it as a disorder, but it's, it's, it's a funny movie. It's, it's got a lot of uh, depth to it, especially that. And it t- they talk about it in the, in the movie where he's got, it's like a doc, a fake doc, a mock doc. So they have all these wonderful like interviews with rabbis and, and, uh, and, you know, press people or whatever talking about this fake because he's Zelig was famous in this movie. So he became like a, a, a national legend because of his, this ability he had to turn into other people. That's a great It's concept. a fantastic movie. But anyways. Um, I, I was uh it's funny because when I first moved to Toronto, uh, I lived I lived in the annex and I would go to the Free Times Cafe all the time. I used to go there. Like the first time I ever played music publicly was at Free Times Cafe on College Me Street. Too. And I vomited. I vomited outside before I went on stage. I forget her name uh that owned it, the owner, but she was oh, lovely. Um and she and I I learned by going there, and so it's, it's not racism if you generalize an entire population with a compliment. I hope, but because Jewish <laughs> people are some of the best conversationalists on the planet. I learned that in New York. I learned that in Toronto. It is um, so. It's it. I really enjoy um, being sort of like uh, you know enveloped inside a culture for like five, six, seven hours or whatever, being like the only non whatever it is there, whether right. it's like Jamaicans or Jewish people or Chinese people or Koreans, because you learn so much. It's like osmosis. And I yes. really, and I, and I went home and I, I did the whole family tree thing. And I was, uh, and I brought it back to, her name was Fran, Ashley, I believe um, the, the free times lady. And I went over there and I was like, um, I'm one sixteenth Jewish. <laughs> I found out. Really? And she goes, and she goes, that's why you can talk to us for as long as you do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did you hear about the Jewish man who walked into a wall with a heart on? He broke his nose. Did you hear that story? No, um, I think this is the one sixteenth Jewish part. You know. Yeah, I was going to say, that's why I yeah. thought of that. But uh, look, Jews and Italians, they're very similar in many ways, uh, I find. Um, yeah. And... Uh, you know, as I said, I think we're hopefully moving towards, uh, as I've always liked to say, that I, I would like a less tribal world except for food. <laughs> That's got it. When I eat Italian food, I want fucking authentic Italian food. They can be tribal with their food, but I, I'm hoping intellectually and, uh, you know, in every other way, people start to see themselves as not in a tribe, but as part of a, and that's probably hopelessly naive. I realize that it, it is hopelessly naive. And and here's why um, we had a, uh, a worldwide pandemic, a health crisis. Yes. And it became the most polarizing issue of all time, even yeah. though it was impacting, you know, so I, my fear is that the um, much like the way that the Trump presidency sort of, um, took a sheet for, for lack of better words off of all the racists and and sh- and Sean sp- uh, sh- put sunlight on them so that that we could all uh, you know look at the overt racists now you know like we always knew they were there but now they're feeling proud yeah. and Jews will not replace us and all of that shit yeah. that came out after he was uh, elected president this conflict um is doing the same thing um when it comes to people who are just 
fervent anti-Semites. Also people who, who say things like the Palestinian people are not even a people. Like there is a lot of like that. Try and I don't think it's going away. It just keeps on getting more emphasized and more emphasized. I, I would love to meet somebody who can one day figure out how to navigate the internet and social media and interactivity and algorithms and AI where you somehow can make that socially unacceptable to the point where it goes away. The way that the N-word goes away. You know, a lot of people don't understand. It's, it's not like half the population want to say the N-word or do. It, society itself was like, nah, we think that word has such a shitty history that we don't ever want to say it again. And people accepted that. It wasn't a decree upon a mountaintop by some do-gooder. It was a universally accepted thing where it was like, I don't think we should say the N-word. And I think that we need to figure out how to apply that concept and that principle to every polarizing issue where you don't have to dehumanize the other side in order to make your point. You can say that Israel is responding with disproportionate militarism without having to slag the entire fucking ethnicity. You know what I mean? Like, Of course, of course, because everything, everything is a spectrum. <laughs> and that that so is such an unsexy reality, <laughs> you know, because we're kind of built on on a binary thinking, unfortunately. But um, what was I going to tell you? The, uh, I forgot. I lost my thought. What the, what, you know, years of alcohol. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Has, uh, about, has about eroded parts. Part, well, I, I, think, I, no, I know what I was going to say because we did a Kenny versus Spenny episode uh, uh, called "Who Do Black People Like More?" And uh, you know, of course, Kenny uh, <laughs> cleverly and obviously just you know got, bought them fried chicken, <laughs> took them to strip joints, and gave them a good time. Uh, and I, of course, tried to take a higher road and. Uh, uh, I did what's called a racial retreat where we had a cottage we rented and we brought them out and, and I wanted to talk about, but it, it, in the comedy of it all was really what I think. Uh, and I think I said it in the show, which is, I think we're all kind of racist and tribal uh, deep down inside because that's where we've come from. So to override that, it takes effort. And, uh, you know, that's basically what I think. I mean, I can honestly say I have racist thoughts and feelings sometimes that I'm not happy about. In fact, my father, God bless him, I dated a black girl for a while. And when he found out I was dating a black girl, this is many, many years ago. He had to tell me that he didn't want me to do it. It was a terrible thing. The only difference was he was decent enough to say, I know that I'm wrong. But that to me was proof of the uh, talking about DNA, moment. pardon? It's a, it's a Robert McNamara moment. Yeah, and uh, it, that really stuck with me, and that's where I sort of came to this idea that, uh, just like Noam Chomsky talks about uh, generative linguistics, tribalism is probably to a certain extent uh, genetic too, uh, yeah. because that's where we come from. So you have to override it. It's the same with the N word. You know, it's going to it takes effort and willfulness. Right. I think com communications is, is such a broad thing, but it's so important. The I, I used to get really upset when I used to um, see memes and people talking online about how, oh, let me guess, you have one black friend because people did used to sort of use that. If they knew a black guy at the office, like the old Costanza thing, if they knew one black guy at the office that sat eight cubicles away, they would count that guy. As <laughs> right. Like that kind of thing. Now, I grew up, I literally had one very close friend that happened to be black. 
And I got to tell you, if it was not for that friendship, I don't think I would have even close to the understanding culturally that I have about black people right now. Of course. If it wasn't for the fact that I had one black friend. So I think that it's important that people, it, it, people dismiss that as if it's better to have no black friends or something. But, but let me ask you something. Here's where it gets difficult. Cause I'm similar to you, except I don't really have that black friend. I had a neighbor. He ran for the NDP was you had the Costanza though. version of the black friend, right? You know, no, but I, I really didn't. And I, I, when I finally left that waspy private school, I went to Forest Hill, which was a predominantly Jewish school. And that was part of me getting in touch with my Jewish roots. Oddly enough, it was humor that was the binding force. Jews tend to be funny and have a great sense of humor. And not that other cultures don't, but I, I grew up, so I was in a Jewish home. I was going to school with waspy kids, but I was totally into comedy and Saturday Night Live and all those kinds of things. And that aspect of my personality was completely lost on the waspy kids that I went to school with. My parents pulled me out of that school, seeing that, oh, he's coming home with the swasti guys. <laughs> and not to say that all those kids were racist. I, I think it was a, a, a symbol of rebellion. Uh, I didn't even know what it meant. Anyhow, uh, I go to the uh, Forest Hill and all of a sudden, uh, my personality, which was built on, I mean, comedy is like a huge part of my life. I've got my favorite comics tattooed on my arm. Uh, I know you're a comedian as well. Uh, so that part of my personality came through uh, with the Jewish kids. And I, I became, uh, you know, someone that, uh, I, uh, that people liked and enjoyed to be around. Not everybody, obviously. But uh, yeah, so, you know, the, these things, uh, they run deep. I think it's to a certain extent beyond our control. I, but my question to you was, so you don't have a lot of black friends. I don't have any, I don't think. And, and just because I don't, I, I'm a socially shut in person. That's probably the main reason uh, I don't go out. I'm a sort of a family guy and I love being at home and I'm a bit of a loner, I guess. Uh, how do you, this would be a great sitcom episode of some show. All of a sudden get black friends. <laughs> what do you, imagine physically what you have to do. To, I've decided this morning I'm going to get some more black friends. That's a kiss. Again, that, goes back to that, Seinfeld, that, that goes back to that Seinfeld episode where he's just keeps on trying to make small talk and then he invites him to dinner. <laughs> what they did an episode so he, like that? I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, where Costanza was trying to make it seem like he had a black friend. So he would invite oh, okay. him to dinner and be like, hey, have you met my friend Jerome or whatever the fuck is <laughs> I name, didn't right? see that one. Oh, it was great. Um, no, you know what? It, 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 for me, it was hip hop. That's you know, that's different. That's the appearance that he has a black friend. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. if you generally want to have a black friend. Well, uh, I was 16. What do you do? I was 16. I went to uh, one high school in Whippy, and uh, Nigel went to a different high school. But um, but I was a rapper, and the only place, or the best place, I should say, to go to like um, to spit lyrics in a studio in a makeshift studio was Nigel's mom's house. So I was in the record bar in Oshawa one time and I was rhyming to the DJ that was playing some beat and he just slid me Nigel's name and number and I called him and set up a meeting for me to go and, and, and you know, rhyme for him. And that's how we met. So it was hip hop, you know, like it wasn't, it, it wasn't just like walking through the food court and be like, Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> like that, that would that you had, see, I play blues music. The problem is, it's a white it's a it's basically a white man's game now the the blues music it really is black people tend to be into hip-hop rap soul whatever yeah but uh anyways I, i'm not going to go out of my way to meet black people i, I don't have a feeling <laughs> one way i have i don't have a feeling one way or other about them if they enter my life organically and they're good people because again then 
it's the old, uh, you know, uh, it, it's the uh, spectrum thing, right? Why I, do I have to like them because they're black? <laughs> you know, if the if the black guy's a jerk, I'm going to hate him. If a gay guy's a jerk, I'm going to hate him. If they're good was, people, I'm going to like them. But I just have no exposure because I'm a shut-in. It's well, you might, it might be too late for you. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> no, but because you know, when when I was young and I was a teenager, um, I, I it was it was like punk to embrace black culture. There's hardly anybody in my school listening to hip hop. Um, right. I was a big Spike Lee fan. I love Do the Right Thing. I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. Fantastic. Um, and, and that's how I was introduced, not just to uh, racial politics, but politics. Like, yeah, I didn't know what politics was until I saw Mookie throw the garbage can through South right. Pizza Rio window, window at South, the end. Yeah. I didn't even know. What, and then all of a sudden, I rewound it so many times. But you're Italian. You had real skin in that game, right? Well, it, that was it a... irked me every time I heard Sal's kid use the N-word so casually. Right. I was just like... I don't know. Like I, I was hip to not using the N word in the eighties. Like I just, it felt wrong. It felt like, you know, viscerally incorrect, right. To do that. But, but I'm more sports like, dude, I grew up, I grew up, um, you know, between 1985 and 1992, all of these things in cultural, all these cultural things. And, and even athletics, like growing up in Mike Tyson's prime, growing up in Michael Jordan's prime, and that coinciding with like hip hop literally exploding. Like all I cared about was that kind of shit. And it made me feel punk because no one in my school, except for a handful right. of people were doing it. So it felt rebellious. Right. And it yeah. just stuck. Right. And it just, it's never going to go away. And I kind of, that my formative years were shaped by it. Right. Like, you know, so yeah. I think like that, I said, you, being a blues music player, one would think, I mean, all of my, almost all of my biggest musical idols are black. Yeah. Uh, so you would think that, but I, it's the, the reality is we're still so tribal. Like I remember I went to York university and, uh, even then it, it, at the supposedly, you know, well, then I'd woke wasn't a word, but you know, higher learning, uh, place, yeah. uh, when you would go to central square, I think it was called everybody, the Jews hung out together. The Asians hung out together. The blacks hung out together. Obviously, there was exceptions, but generally that was true. And that was really meaningful to me <laughs> that that, you know, that that must be the natural default. You know what I mean? It's Why not is that ginger hanging out with all those black dudes. Oh, that's Michael yeah. Rappaport. Don't worry about him. Oh, yeah. Michael Rappaport. <laughs> what do you think of see Lee Kern is is basically uh, you didn't know who he was, but you, you obviously follow Michael Rappaport on X. I know who he is because he's been in a lot of my favorite movies from the 90s. Yeah. But do you know, do you don't follow his social media with the I, October? I know that he's very outspoken about him. Oh, my God. So Lee Kern's the exact same way. He's British, though. Okay. Uh, and he worked with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, and I think on Borat. He was nominated for Academy Award. Those two just went to Israel together, and they were putting on shows, like, in theaters. Uh, I, I don't really know the nature of the shows, but it's interesting to me because... Uh, he's like you, then. There's a lot of left-leaning people out there that have a fairly conservative... Uh, stamp stance when it comes to Israel, right? Is that fair? No, I don't think so because this isn't. I don't think this for me, anyways. It doesn't break down to liberal or conservative. Although I'm making observations based on people on the left who seem to be uh, anti-Israel, uh, but for me, I don't think it's that at all. For me, it's probably what you described as trauma mixed with. I, I like to think rationality. 
you know, that I, I've, I've made a delve into the history. I, I understand it. I don't think the Jews are perfect. Uh, the Israelis are perfect. But at the end of the day, as I said to you at the beginning of this conversation, when you're dealing with a group like Hamas, which can't even hide their hatred and their goal of, I believe, annihilation, uh, it, it makes it very easy for me to, to side with Israel. Yeah. And I also will condemn. I will also condemn the uh, the settlers, the uh, the Jews who uh, go out of their way to make problems for the Palestinians. You know, the, the, they're extremes on both sides, but yeah. they're not, but nothing. I don't think there's anything that's close to Hamas's uh, ethos in Israel. What are you working on right now? And when is your next sort of on the oh. road trip with uh, with with Kenny? Yeah, we're we're hitting uh, Alberta, which should be interesting because uh, some guy saying that my Paul, my left wing politics people aren't going to be showing up to the Kenny versus Benny shows. I wrote oh, back. Uh, I wrote back. Uh, actually, I'm a centrist. Eat shit and block them. But anyways, um, so uh, so we're doing that, and then we're hitting the states in February. We're booking the shows now. Um, we're doing another run of the U.S. Uh, you know, the, the central states. But what I'm also excited about is uh, I'm, I'm opening a Patreon page oh. to make money, uh, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be uh, my music. It's going to be uh, about five or six different, you know, shows, short, short subject shows, reaction videos, uh, recommendation videos, live streams, and, uh, you know, it's going to cost a buck, two bucks a month. I can't remember what we're charging. And then you can go up to another level and you'll get access to more material. So I've been shooting that stuff and organizing it. And I'm hoping within the next month or two, we'll, I'll have that up and running. Um, and it, it's, does the live it's stream fun. include Does the live stream include you and Kenny's uh, appearances at these different cities? No, no, because that uh, you should know that uh, that would kill the. If we put on oh, our right, stand-up yeah. show, right, it kills the material for where we've never been, which we're definitely That's cognizant right. of. Uh, you know, I've been to Kenny's been doing his live stream and he's doing really well with it. And believe it or not, uh, behind closed doors, he's actually a friend and uh, no. wants me to be successful at it. And he's been giving me advice, uh, which I appreciate. And do you, um, think, do you think people want to see uh, this is an interesting question because of the um, the context of your on-screen relationship yeah do people find it a little bit annoying when he's nice to you in public no <laughs> because it doesn't know? it doesn't really happen i'm the honest one that will <laughs> that will although no i shouldn't say that kenny the most he'll say in a live situation and i know he means it as a compliment he'll say there's only one spenny and yeah, that to him really is, is a compliment okay yeah. so yeah, by the way, yeah, you 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 tweeted that. Yeah, but there's only one James. It's not something that no, you know, there's like, a thousand of them. I have a Bible named after me and everything. Oh bullshit. Anyways, uh, believe me. So uh there's that. But the reality is, uh, we used to argue about this. It's funny you mention it. I don't know if you've ever seen the Sunshine Boys. Not offhand, maybe. Sunshine Boys was a Neil Simon play that became a movie, it won an Academy Award for it's George Burns and Walter Matthau, and they played an old uh, uh vaudeville. Right an old vaudeville duo like comedy duo that did sketch sketches in the vaudeville era and then we fast forward to i guess it would be this 80s maybe the late 70s and nbc is going to do a rehash of that genre of entertainment and they want uh, lewis and clark was their their names uh to come back and rehash their famous doctor sketch on an nbc special so uh mathow's uh 
the nephew is played by Richard Benjamin, and he's going to orchestrate the two of them to come to come back. The problem is they absolutely despise each other, but uh, you know, but they know that they have to do it. But in the movie, there's this wonderful moment which really works for me. It just doesn't work for Kenny, which is uh, with all their vitriol and all their fighting. Some guy disses um, disses uh, the George Burns character, and Willie, played by Matho fights back and says say what you want about him but he's the greatest straight man that ever lived and my heart melts right <laughs> because all you see them is fighting but that's me i i love things that feel good and i like sometimes i like schmaltz and cheese uh kenny is genetically against that stuff so all that kind of good stuff would come from me but not him but he we've had a hell of a ride a hell of a relationship and uh, i fucking love him I know he loves me. He might. He won't say it. Maybe he will. Yeah, he does say it. Actually, that's not fair. But I've um, heard him. I, he, yeah, no. I actually have a memory of. I can't remember. It was an interview from years ago, but he did compliment you, and it did sound weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, once I he does these podcasts, these commentaries uh, on Kenny, which I also I'm doing. That's going to be part of my Patreon. I've already shot them 10, 10 episodes, and uh, with just me doing commentary without him, and he does it without me. He does it with Sebastian, uh, who was uh, our our. Him on the series, and I, you know, I happen to go on it one day, and I'm on it, and Kenny is saying that Spenny did nothing; it was all me. Uh, he's he burns every bridge that we have, and it's just like, holy fuck, dude! Like yeah. you know. And then I called him. I said, you know, I don't mind you saying shit about me, but you were so serious. You know, it was so because he's got. We have a lot of issues. He has more issues with me than I do with him. That go back decades from uh, amount of work we did on the series because I got married, I had twins and I was living in LA. Uh, and then, and, and then he doesn't made a bad impression on the South Park boys. He's never let you live. Yeah. Down, which I could argue actually made it go into business with us because, because Matt Stone said the next day, he goes, I had no idea how real these guys were till we hung out. <laughs> and that's a story. That's a show in of itself that, that evening. But uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't mind saying, uh, you know, the, the, but, but you have to, in a sense, not manufacture, but you have to drudge up the, the, the histrionics to get to where we are on stage where we're going after each other. And it's, so it's, on stage, again, what are the Alberta dates and what cities? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't have my, I don't have it here. Sorry. Uh, it just, uh, it's all on my social media. By the way, I lost my Facebook page. Can well, I, I tell you this? Remember, I, I thought that was Kenny. No, I got it. This is classic Spenny. I'm embarrassed to say this, but this is exactly what happened, James. So I'd already lost my YouTube channel because of a series I did called X-Rated, which was arguably pornography. It was a series I did for Super Channel about a guy trying to uh, break uh, break a sexual world record. Anyways, great series. It's going to be on my, uh, my my Patreon page. It's incredible. I'm so proud of it. Anyways, the uh, the the I get an email forwarded to me from a guy I used to work with saying uh, that a podcast uh, wants me. Uh, I looked them up. They're a big podcast in South Africa. Maybe it was Australia. And they're going to pay me $5,000 for an hour. <laughs> so just like the cartoon, right? Bing, 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 my eyes. Yeah. $5,000. What are you paying me, James, today? Uh, I'm paying you uh, $5,000. <laughs> I'm not paying sweet fuck all is uh, is the translation and when i do dean shows i'm happy to do them because i love these yeah. guys but you don't get paid but so my head exploded 
So they said, uh, I reached out, I talked to them. They said, a guy's going to call you. Uh, he's going to go through what you have to do on Facebook in order to uh, set it up so that we can pay you. And we always kept saying the paying. So long story short, I went on a, 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 a Zoom call with this guy. It wasn't Zoom. It was a, a site that made to look by Zoom. And they hacked my account. Oh. And I've lost my Facebook page. I have 80,000 people, which isn't a lot, but it's a lot for me. Uh, that's gone. They're saying I can never get it back, but I'm still fighting for it. Uh, so what an elaborate again, hack that is. What, what, what were they? Oh, like? no, no. And now you can read about it. it it's an, a, a brilliant. It's absolutely. In fact, when I was on the phone with this guy, I actually said, you know, this would be a great scam if you were, <laughs> he was scamming me. Did the you send him your said. banking information or anything like that? No, no, no. And then I changed all my passwords. Um, uh, but uh, it, he did get it because that was the because it was supposed to be a Facebook event, the appearance on this fictitious podcast. It's a real podcast, by the way. And they've they've now put up uh, on their thing, someone is, uh, some group is going around saying that you can be on our show and they're saying we pay, you know, we don't pay anybody, please don't do it. But I found that out too late. So as classic, naive, idiotic Spenny, I got fucking hacked and it's gonna take me who knows how long to get it back if I ever do. What, what kind of fucking genius is Mark Zuckerberg if he can't fix that? Like, that should be easy, no? No, I, I don't think he should be responsible for the stupidity of people like me. I, I, I'm just, I'm hopeless. I really am naive. That's why Kenny versus Spenny worked. I, I, I the, Just like uh, tribalism, I have to consciously try not. I, I want to believe people are good. I want to believe th good things can happen. And that's you know, that, that's it's a perfect lot, mark. It's a, lot, it's a lot easier to realize that, um, like I've realized this over the last year. I've been dealing with um, a very weird situation of of being gaslit for for like a year, <clears throat> um, where you think that you're going crazy, and then someone visits you who doesn't know anything, and they lean into you. Um, it's I had a date with this girl a few months ago, and she leans in at one point. And she's like, "What's all that chatter?" And I'm like. What are you talking about? She's like, I hear a man and woman talking. Do you have a TV on in the other room? And up until that point, I was ignoring that because I was had been convinced that I was hearing it, but it wasn't happening. So two, three, four witnesses later, I'm like realizing that, and I have a good idea of, of who it is, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, I have been uh, put in a spot where I where they wanted me to feel like I was hearing things. And then all of a sudden, all these Captain Obvious moments happened. Like, I've been to London, L.A., Chicago, Milwaukee, Washington, New York, all in the last six months. It's never happened anywhere else except for my home, <laughs> right? So I'm like, I have this doctor, this friend of mine, uh, his dad's a doctor, and I was telling him about it. And he's like, James, there's no such thing as geographically specific schizophrenia. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> I was going to say schizophrenia, but I... So I've been gaslit to, to make it seem like I'm hearing things that I'm not, that, that I'm actually hearing. And it's not just the one person that anyone that watches it could guess who it is I'm speaking with. But there is a certain cult, and we won't mention their name now, that I have been reporting on that now everything makes sense. And, and it makes sense going back to 2021 when I was like in Cremor and there were like cars um, parked on the driveway where I was and I'd walk up to them and they'd drive away quickly. Um, there's like people in the lawyer for this cult. He grew up a mile away from where I live and his family still lives there. And I'm just like, Oh my God. You might want to, uh, 
you might want to, if you already haven't, check out a podcast my wife is listening to called Fair Game with Leah Remney and Mike Rinder. Uh, mm-hmm. These are apostates from the Church of Scientology. Fair Game yeah. is their their policy. I Okay, so but then there's a podcast which is even it's amazing what they will go through uh, if they don't like you uh, or if oh, they think God. you're trying to hurt Scientology. Well, we Sounds- were talking about this. Uh, I was talking about that because I talked to a lot of the ex members that I have on my show, and and the the sort of main question that that, that all these people have had for me over the past two years has been, how come you haven't been sued? I'm like, I don't fucking know. They, they're suing everybody else, right? And everyone that they're suing or or terrorizing, I've had on my show. And then I didn't put it together until recently that that all of these crazy experiences that I've been having. Dude, I, I got a techie to look at my phone. They've had my phone since 2021, right? I have Keylogger spyware on my computer um, that it's apparently has been on there for over a year. So I've been, like, completely monitored. And, and, and um yeah you gotta listen and and now it's it's fighting back time and i feel pretty good about it and that's all i can really say about it my lawyer's probably having a conniption fit right now but you know it's i don't even remember what point i was making but there's just like an idea behind um what were we talking about just before you said this because it was important like the the idea that uh, people oh you were talking about what the pbb was doing to you if i can yeah, I can't remember why I even led into that, but just just the idea of being sort of oh, like, because you were talking about the gaslit and hearing voices and thinking you were yeah, yeah, even that, I, it, 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 you know, whatever. There's a lot. Oh, I know what it was. I don't. You were saying that you don't know if people are good or if people are evil. It's a good salad bar because there are people out there capable of things that I never thought human beings should be capable of, and motivated by such hostility and superficial reasons um, where I don't have faith in humanity as a whole, but right. I do try to individualize as much as I can. And then, yes. and, and I'm never not going to trust my instincts ever again. You know, like I'm really not. I, See, that's I, the I, thing. I have to, I have to reverse engineer that. My instincts are so bad that I have to pause, take a deep breath. If my wife who's very, very intuitive and smart about this stuff, uh, you know, I have to say, well, wait a sec. You know, no more working without getting a deposit. No more. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Things that I used to do without even thinking about it because I thought people were like me. It's sad. I respect, but people, I respect people that I do business with where they don't ever put me in a position where I have to trust them. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, I do. Me I, well, deposit. I don't anymore. They give, me, but... they give me my deposit or they pay me on time. They don't ask me for free things. I don't ask them for handouts. And we all just have a good time not caring about trust because we're being respectful, right? Like, I Yeah, think... but that, for example, this the fact that I got sucked into this podcast scam after I've had a lifetime, a lifetime of being taken advantage of, ripped off, stolen from. I could go on. We could do eight episodes about my idiocy with this stuff. It, it's still, it, it's just like, it must be in your DNA, kind of. Like, you have to stop, take a breath, override what you normally would do in order to keep yourself safe. No, I agree. Um, okay, we'll leave it at that. Spenny, um, you know what you should do uh, before you go to Alberta, whatever those dates happen to be? Give Lachlan Cross uh, a message and go on his morning yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. I talked to Lachlan. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's um, hilarious. And he's got the best morning show in Edmonton, so... Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I did. I've done his show before on the phone, but maybe Kenny and I'll go in. Yeah, yeah. cruise something. Yeah, cruise FM. I yeah. always get the call, the call numbers wrong, so I just say ninety six point eight because I know that's not right. 
All right, James, I'm going to take my daughter to uh, a medical appointment. No, no, I'm the one letting you go. I've already started the letting go thing. I hate it when guests do that. I got to go. No, I just told you you're gone. (laughs) All right, buddy. We'll see you next time. Okay, thanks. Thanks, man. Spencer Rice, a.k.a. Spenny. That was fun. Tomorrow I'm going to do Casual Friday earlier. I'm going to try to see if I can get people... To come on at around 6, 6.30, and we'll go till 8. Um, for a bunch of reasons. I don't have to tell you what they are. Big thanks to Spenny. Uh, that was a really good conversation, especially the beginning. Um, no one has honest conversations about things that happen in the Middle East, and that was a good conversation, I think. Um, sometimes it's good to not um, necessarily uh, sit there and be a, a cheerleader for one side or the other, but just to talk about how people talk about it i think uh can be can be important so we'll see you tomorrow on casual friday and thanks for watching black bolt black bolt black 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 The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.